So, Lord, as we come now to your word in the scriptures, I pray that you would take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think your thoughts in them. Take our wills and bend them more to yours. And above all, take our hearts and set them on fire with love for Jesus. We ask it all in his name. Amen. You may be seated. One hundred and thirty-nine years ago this weekend, a parade was held in New York City that paid tribute to the laborers of America. And on that day in New York in 1882, a national holiday was conceived, which today we know as Labor Day. Happy Labor Day. And the New York Parade soon became an annual event, and in 1894, President Grover Cleveland signed a bill making Labor Day a national holiday observed now on the first Monday of every September. So it's kind of hard to believe that this is Labor Day weekend. And for many of us, it's an ambivalent day. We look forward to the, the cooler temperatures and the bright colors of fall. But many say it's the last gasp. It's the end of summer. I noticed Jamie Brown talked about this beautiful fall day, which I'm not quite yet ready to accept because there are actually 18 more days until uh, fall begins on Wednesday, September the 22nd at 3.21 p.m., the autumnal equinox. And until then, it's what? It's summer. So let's keep having a great summer and uh, <laughs> give no thought to the fact that Thanksgiving and Christmas will be here in three months. And so, on this summertime Labor Day Sunday, I'd like to make a statement and then ask a question. The first, the statement, which is that God loves labor. There are a number of verses in the Bible that talk about uh, the importance, the significance of labor. One of my favorites is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You may know it. Be steadfast, immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. I was so happy when I opened our music packet this morning and saw we're going to sing that, a wonderful, beautiful new song called Your Labor is Not in Vain, right before communion. So if God loves labor, then uh, let me ask the question, what is the labor that God loves? And I'll try to sum it up in three words. God loves labor that is animated, God loves labor that is regulated, and God loves labor that is terminated. So we'll think about those for a few minutes. First of all, animated. God loves animated labor. So who was the first worker in the Bible? Not Adam, but God himself, right? The creator of the cosmos, planet Earth, we find this God who is invigorated and animated in all he creates. In one of his many books, a Christian sociologist and pastor Tony Campolo, crazy guy, describes how he pictures God creating daisies. And he talks about his little grandson, Roman, 
who some years ago uh, would love to play with his, his pop-pop as Tony Campolo would just throw him up in the air down onto his knee. And they would do this uh, for 10, 15 minutes. And through it all, little Roman is saying, pop-pop, do it again, do it again, do it again. And Tony keeps tossing him up, do it again, do it again. And after 15 or so minutes, uh, Campolo is done, but Roman is not. Papa, do it again. And then Tony asks the question, and how do you think God created daisies? Did God just say, all daisies, be, and trillions of daisies popped into bloom? Or maybe God said, with great delight, creating one daisy, let's do it again. And there were thousands of daisies. And then there were millions of daisies. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again, God says. And there are trillions of daisies all over the earth. He says, I think God did that with daisies and animals and rivers and valleys and mountains and stars and galaxies. And even today, every time a new baby enters the world, I can hear God shout, I've done it again, and I'll keep doing it again and again and again. Yes, our Creator worked and is still working with great animation and exhilaration in creation. Then God does something amazing. As the crowning pinnacle of His creation, He creates man and woman in His own image the Imago Dei, and he blesses them and he gives them dominion as caretakers and stewards over everything he has created. And then he places them in a beautiful garden. To do what? To work, to cultivate it, to keep it. He calls them to this, this labor, which I think was probably fun and enjoyable and warmed and delighted the heart of the man and woman. But then what happens? In Genesis 3, sin invades God's beautiful, unspoiled creation. And into the beauty and serenity and delight of the garden comes backbreaking toil and thorns and thistles and sweat. And the man and woman would no longer labor in the serenity of his soul, but in the sweat of his brow. We'll sing this wonderful song in a few minutes. And it says, your labor is not in vain, though the ground underneath you is cursed and stained, and your planting and reaping are never the same. Your labor is not in vain. Thanks for that, Jamie. Isn't it true that in our own lives, sometimes our own work and labor is not enjoyable or life-giving because of sin? Probably all of us have known what it's like to be unhappy in our job or workplace. But, you know, just as God redeems us, He wants to redeem the work of our hands and our labor and turn it into something that delights us and fulfills us and satisfies us in our souls. The Bible tells us that for God's people, work should be an honorable and a, a dignifying thing where we can glorify, ultimately, Him. The disciples were hardworking fishermen. Joseph 
was a hard-working carpenter. His foster son was a hard-working young apprentice. And in the last three years of his life, Jesus said his one purpose was to do the will and the work of the one who had sent him. And so whether it was mending plows or healing people, Jesus was an animated, motivated, working man. So whatever your work may be, however you labor in life, God calls you and me to be faithful and animated in our labors. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever, however you work, do it all for the glory of God. And when we can enter into that place of our work being glorifying to God, we find fulfillment in our own lives. So whether you wear a blue collar or a white collar or a lace collar or clergy collar or no collar at all, whether you wear a surgeon's mask or a hard hat or carry a jackhammer or a laptop computer, God says to do it all for his glory and ask him in your work, whatever it may be, how you can honor him and extend his kingdom. And when this happens, when Jesus is the Lord of our work, our work can become worship. I'll say it again. When Jesus is the Lord of our work, our work becomes worship. Now, you may find yourself in a season of life where you're out of work or retiring from work or physically unable to work. You may be watching by live stream our worship this morning and uh, you're homebound or barely able to get around. Even so, God has work, kingdom work for you to do that can be important and significant and life-giving to you and others. I'm thinking of uh, one of our senior citizens, age 96, Betty Rapp, who was very, very faithful in senior lunches on Fridays at noon before COVID. And then COVID came and she's had to be very careful about her health. So dear Betty has not really been outside of her house for the last almost two years. So every uh, month or two, I'll call and check in with Betty. Has a young voice, picks up the phone. Betty, how are you doing? I'm, I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in, she says. And then she goes on to tell me about her little list of 15 seniors whom every Wednesday afternoon she will call to remind them of senior lunch coming up now on Saturdays at noon. And it's also a kind of a ministry call. It's a pastoral call for Betty. And she says, how are you doing physically, emotionally, especially in these days? Is there anything the church can do to help you? And sometimes she'll call and let me know of a need that's been expressed that needs a little TLC pastorally. So, you know, Betty may be isolated, but she is very animated in the work she does, in which she brings light and life to other people. God loves animated work. And then secondly, God loves regulated work, which means that God wants for our work to have a rhythm and a rest, a rhythm and a rest. I know in music when I'm playing uh, some fast 16th notes and it's intense, it's great when the composer has put, you know, on every page or so, 
a little symbol that's a rest, a musical rest. Sometimes it'll even be a formata, which is a little curved line and a dot over the rest, which means you can take that rest as long as you want to as a musician. Sometimes the most powerful sound in music is nothing at all. It's when there's a pause in the middle of glorious, intense, loud music, there's silence and there's a rest. And so we hear these words in Genesis 2 this morning that Mike read for us. No, it wasn't Mike. It was Tina. Tina, great reading, Tina. Thank you. I loved uh, on the seventh day, after God had worked so hard for six, he sanctifies the seventh day. He calls it holy and the omnipotent, almighty, eternal, omniscient, all-powerful God takes a rest. It was so important that he sanctified it. He called it holy. And he goes on to include it in his top ten rules for living. And asks us to remember the Sabbath day. Which in Hebrew, Shabbat, means literally to cease and desist. To stop to pause and to rest. And you know, that Sabbath Shabbat concept in our lives is a way of putting a one-day boundary on anything that is not enjoyable and life-giving to us and embrace everything that is. And I have to confess that as a pastor, I know a lot of the theology and the theory of Sabbath but very little in practice. My Sabbath is supposed to be Monday, and I try not to, to check emails or send that, that text or think, you know, I'm so important, I've got to let somebody know or take care of somebody's problem. Uh, no, in those 24 hours, it's much more honoring and uh, healthy and healing for me to take the rest than to enter back into those little calls to do something and help out somewhere because I can be much more effective in doing that if I take that rest on Monday, which you can pray for me to begin to do. Just after I came to Truro 13 years ago, I think it was the, the following year, 2009, a Methodist pastor named J.D. Walt came here to teach us on the Sabbath. He was here, preached, taught seminars uh, for the weekend. And I came across some of J.D.'s teaching in my notes a few days ago, and I have written down, we keep a Sabbath day to be imitators of God, who created everything there is in six days, and then he rested on the seventh. This Sabbath-regulated rhythm reminds us to rest from the work of our lives in order to reestablish and reconnect with the creative wonder of God. A Sabbath rest provides for us, protects us, from total absorption in our work and reminds us that we will not find our true humanity until we raise our eyes above in communion with our Creator. And ultimately, Sabbath-keeping returns us to the cross and Jesus where we find our ultimate rest. In October 1929, Joseph Stalin in Marxist Russia introduced the practice of Neprevnika, where Sunday was wiped off Soviet maps, canceled as a day of rest because it was seen 
as a threat to Russia's goal of industrial domination of the world. And so the seven-day non-stop work week came to the Soviet Union, and eventually it was an abysmal failure. Workers' performance plummeted, job accidents, illnesses, poor performance skyrocketed, and after 11 long years in 1940, it was tanked. Why? They learned that we are human beings, not human doings. We were not created to be hamsters on wheels that never stop spinning and cogs in machines that never stop running. We were created to work hard and to rest hard because God loves work that is animated by zest and regulated by rest. Thirdly, the third thing God loves about labor, he loves labor that is terminated, finished forever. What do I mean by that? Well, in Revelation 14, we read about heaven being a place where we rest from our labors. There's a great old prayer that speaks of heaven that says, when the busy world is hushed and the fever of life is over and our work is done. Heaven is that final full place of rest, terminated labor. But did you ever stop to think that on this side of heaven, there is a place for terminated labor. When all of our work, all of our labors can be laid down and finished and surrendered. This is so because of what Jesus did on the cross when he finished his work of salvation. When he cried out, Tetelestai, it is finished, done, accomplished. The final payment for your sin and mine. Which means that saving faith for us, uh, we do not spell D-O. Christianity, the gospel, is not about doing first. It is about the work being D-O-N-E, done in Jesus on the cross. And so the whole message of grace is that we are saved not by our own labors and works, but by the perfect work of Jesus. Over the summer, we looked at the great book of Ephesians, where Paul celebrates this in almost every chapter, that we have been saved by grace through faith, not of works that none of us can boast. Paul told Titus, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And there's nothing we can do to add to it. It's terminated, finished. In 1763, an Anglican pastor named Augustus Toplady was returning to his parish church in the rocky hills of southern England. And a violent thunderstorm struck. And Toplady took refuge in a nearby rock crevice. And as the storm roared through, he pulled out a piece of paper and he wrote the words, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Lord, thou must save 
and thou alone. That's terminated labor. We begin the Christian life that way. When we come to Christ and we acknowledge we cannot earn forgiveness, but we have to embrace the forgiveness that he gives us. A few minutes ago, we heard that loving threefold invitation from Jesus. Come, take, learn. Come to me, all who labor, who labor, and I will give you rest. Then take my yoke, then learn from me. And then after that, he gives a promise. If you do that, what happens? I will give rest for your souls. Terminated labor that introduces us to Jesus as our Savior and Lord. But that same kind of approach to Jesus doesn't just happen when we're saved. It needs to happen in every day of the Christian life that we come to him, that we take his yoke, that we learn from him, and that we lay down our own self-effort and striving. Yes, we work hard, but we work in a strength that is not ours, but his. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So the Christian life for all of us needs to be uh, the, the position of, Lord, I am laying down my own striving and thinking I'm going to pull off this assignment in my strength and my cleverness and wisdom, but I look to you, I come to you, I take your yoke, I learn from you as the one who can do it. In him, in Christ, we can do all things. Tomorrow is Labor Day. And I think it's a good day to pause for a few moments in these final weeks of summer and think about the labor of our lives. Is there labor in my life that is animated, whether you're working in an office in downtown DC or your living room or kitchen table, is there labor in your life that is giving life to you and life to others? And then is there labor in my life that is regulated? Am I carving out just one day? Or if that's too much, take four or five hours and call that your Sabbath and begin to, I'm preaching to me, move into a 24-hour period where, you know, at sundown, uh, our first big assignment is just to go to bed. And at sunup, we rise resurrected to that day of rest in the presence of God. Is your work animated, is it regulated, and is it terminated? Are you living life on your terms or his? Are you living life in your strength or his? Do I really understand that Jesus is all I need because Jesus is all I've got? And that's not just for my future. That's for my present this day. So on this Labor Day, my prayer for you and me and for all of us is that we who labor will come to Jesus, take his yoke, learn from him, and in that coming and in that taking and in that learning, Jesus can be the Lord of your labor, the Lord of your work, and your work can be worshipped.